getting that coffee or bagel one last time. We do have a bagel guillotine over there. Now it sounds like kind of, that's, that kind of sounds like exciting in French, but at the same time sounds like freakish at the same time, like a guillotine. So if you put, if you figure that, that white thing out, you put the bagel in there and you slide the thing down. There it is. Shelly Arvana White is holding it up for you. There it is. It will slice it. Just don't put your finger in there. That's like, you know, anyway, but I don't think you can. It'd be very difficult to do that. But anyway, so hey, if you're a first time guest, this is kind of out of the ordinary for us this morning. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about a vision that we have for 2017, the coming year. But if you were, so we just want you to sit back and relax and just be a part of what's going on. Uh, if you're a member of this church, this should be very, very exciting. Everybody say this with me. I'm excited. And I don't even know why. <laughs> So I'm going to get to it. So the church is the agent of change within the world. This is the biblical understanding and one of the purposes and missional mandates of the church. We are the agent of change within the world. God has not entrusted cultural change to governments. He's not entrusted it into individuals. He's not entrusted it to even nations. He's entrusted it to his people through the church. The church is God's design. Okay, so we have to understand that. We have to partner with that and realize what it is that what our responsibility is. With that in mind, so we are the agents of change in the world, and one of the ways we bring about change is we're called to create culture. So we're doing a teaching series, and we'll pick it up again next week on kingdom culture. So we're called to bring heaven's government, heaven's understanding, heaven's ways to the earth. The church is also called to bring about the knowledge and the correct representation of God to the world. God is represented in many ways and is understood in many ways. But according to scripture, Jesus Christ is the full representation uh, in him, the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. The correct representation of who God is is found in the expression and the person of Jesus Christ. So this again is the cultural mandate of the church is to bring right understanding of God to the world. Because man's lost. It's one thing sin does. Sin blinds us and makes us lost. And everybody goes, well, what does it mean to be lost? Well, you're lost to everything. You're lost to God. You're lost to who you are. You're lost to your environment. You're lost to your future. You're lost to your relationships. And if you don't believe that, just look around. Everybody's trying to find out who they are, where they are, why they are. Because man is lost. And it's only in Christ that we're found. It's only in Christ that we understand who God is. We understand who we are. We understand how relationships work. We understand what our purpose is in the world and what everything means. It's only through Jesus that that comes about. The church's purpose is also to raise and equip and inspire and release future generations. So the church is to be transgenerational. It's not to begin and end in one generation. Church is to create a legacy and a pattern of legacy and a pattern of restoration for future generations. In your Bible, there's a book called Nehemiah. And the story of Nehemiah is that he was returning to a world, a former world that he knew. And the world that he knew had been ravaged and broken. Everything that he knew had been lost Everything that he knew had, been, had gone away, and he went there and had a heart, and he began to cry out to God, and the Lord told him to go and reestablish the culture within that city. And as Nehemiah went about his business, a bunch of people ridiculed him and mocked him. And so you know you're on Jesus' train when people ridicule you and mock you for simply wanting to serve the Lord. 
And when people go, well, who do you think you are? Well, why do you think, what makes you think you're going to do anything? What makes you think you're going to make any difference? You're just this little person, this little scrawny person. You see that over and over in Scripture. You see it with David, little bitty David, and his brothers ridiculing him and attacking him at the point of his identity. Who do you think you are, David? Coming out here to see the battle? You know, you see it even with Nehemiah. Nehemiah goes to rebuild the city, and he's got all these people around him telling him, what do you think you're doing? What do you think you're doing? You think you're actually going to do anything? And Nehemiah replied to his accusers and to his mockers. He said, the God of heaven will make us prosper. In other words, my prosperity, my destiny, my purpose, my source is not of this world. The God of heaven will prosper us. Therefore, we, his people, will arise and build. The church is called to build. The church is called to create. The church is called to restore. We're called to rebuild the waste places. There's a prophecy in Isaiah, and it talks about restoring and becoming rebuilders of wasted cities. It's a prophetic declaration over the church. It is a mandate upon the church to rebuild what is broken, to bring about renewal into areas where there is no hope or lostness. In order for the church to fulfill its mandate, I'm just trying to get you to understand that we have a mandate as a church. The gospel is way more than about sitting in a chair. It's way more than about coming and going. We're called to collectively unite and participate in a greater vision and a greater calling. But it takes vision. Without vision, the people perish. Without a vision and a purposeful direction, the people just wander everywhere. So it takes a purposeful vision. In order for us to bring change, it takes vision, it takes commitment. And it, say this with me. It takes, come on, you can do better than that. It takes the participation of the many to achieve the great. That's right. It takes the many to achieve the great. Next slide, please. So, in 2017, in the fall of 2017, we are going to launch a Christian school. <laughs> so we're going to do the why, the what, the when, the how. So we're going to do why do we need another Christian school? What's the purpose of it? Why do we need a school at all? Well, in 1962, Jesus was effectively voted out of the American education system. No more school prayer. We're not talking about Jesus. We're not using his name. And now we're even relegating it down to even some generic form of God. But prior to that, Bibles were welcome. There was prayer in schools. They actually prayed. They actually pledged allegiance to the Christian flag in many instances. There was a lot more gospel in our schools in 1962 than there is now. You say, well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is this. You can't read it, so I'll read it for you. In 1962, most common problems were talking out of turn, chewing gum, making noise, running in the hall, cutting in line, and dress code violations and littering. Those were the common problems within schools reported in 1962. In 2014, <laughs> we have drug abuse, alcohol abuse, pregnancy, suicide, rape, robbery, and assault. Oh, happy day. <laughs> Where the kingdom of heaven is, there is peace. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The mind of Christ produces something entirely different within the culture than it does without his absence. Average SAT scores have fallen 20% while the test itself has been made less difficult by as much as 40%. That's absolutely astounding to me. So we've made, we've dumbed the test down, standardized tests, so, you know, college SATs, we've dumbed it down as much as 40% and scores are still 20% lower than they were in 1962. Is there a problem? American public schools, this comes from an article by the, um, I think it's National Review, I have, to have it on the next slide, but don't leave it there. Um, 
American public schools, they, they state this statement, American public schools practice a philosophy of indifference. In other words, when you go to an American public school, it's a philosophy of indifference. It's survival of the fittest. We're just going to throw you out there and see if you succeed and sink or swim. And if you make it, great. And if you don't, oh well. You know, that's pretty much it. They're just trying to move you along and get you out the door as fast as possible. It's a philosophy of indifference. There's an absolute absence for the need of moral law. Moral relativism lives in our schools. It doesn't matter. And what's moral relativism? Moral relativism is, is what's right for you is not necessarily right for me. What's right for me is not, right, not necessarily right for you. In other words, the position is there are no absolutes. There's no absolutes. All morality is relative. It's relative to the person. And so my question would be, there's absolutely no absolutes? I mean, that, that's, an ab, that's, that's a, a contradiction in terms. So, you know, anyway, this is the type of thing that's being taught in our schools. You see it more in the higher education as you get, kids get into high school. And in particular college, you see more and more moral relativism. Doesn't matter. Well, he's made, he was born a man. He thinks he's a girl, so let him be a girl. What's wrong with two people, two guys being together? What's wrong with two girls being together? It's all in the name of love. Well, that's a really great understanding from a humanistic standpoint, but that is not heaven's design. And what mankind and what the Christian in particular has to understand is that we do not have the moral authority to determine right and wrong. God has never given the right to mankind to determine what is right and wrong. Righteousness belongs to the Lord. He alone determines what is right. He alone determines what is wrong. And what happens when man assumes the ability to determine what is right and wrong, we exalt ourselves against our creator. And in exalting ourselves against our creator, we work against the system as it was designed. And we wonder why we have all kinds of problems. Could it be that we as a country, we as a people, we as on all of these levels are exalting ourselves against our creator, shaking our fists, what do you know, what do you care? And we don't even shake our fists. What we actually do is we create a God in our own image. We create a God who is accepting of these values and is accepting of these things. When clearly his word declares that that is not true. People are broken. It's not an issue of judgment. It's not an issue of declaration. The, the, issue, the issue and the result of these types of behaviors is the brokenness and the fallenness of sin. Identity solves the problem. When a person can understand who they are and how they were made, they will live accordingly to who they are and how they were made. But when there's been a pronouncing, well, all your life, you know, you probably should have been a girl, you should have been born a girl, and they begin to give themselves over that, they begin to live themselves according to the identity that they have accepted. It's not that difficult to understand. And so what needs to happen is there needs to, this is completely not related to what I'm talking about, but what needs to happen is there needs to be a reinforcement of the identity of how God has designed us. We're created, and that not just goes into the culture, that goes into the church itself. Christians have no idea who they are. Have no idea. Well, I'm just saved and born again, that's just it. You are so much more than that. Really. You are so much more. God has called you to be sons and daughters. God has called you to participate from the economy of heaven and to bring change into the world. On a galactic scale, he's called the church. You are far more than that. Far more. And when the Christian begins to understand their identity and they begin to understand their purposes and who they are and they begin to understand that I'm a son and a daughter, I'm not just a servant, I'm not just a friend, I'm a son and a daughter, that's the highest understanding. The gospel has understanding levels and some people understand, well, I'm a servant of Christ and that's the level of their understanding, which is fine. I'm always a servant. 
That's, that's the foundational piece. I'm a friend. Jesus said, when I no longer call you servants, I call you friend. Okay, we graduated the friendship, right? So I'm a servant of God. I'm a friend of God. But my high calling is son and daughter. That's my high calling. And I have to understand that I, have, I am a son and daughter of God. And I must understand and perceive myself to be that way. And I must understand how heaven sees me and what are my responsibilities and how I am to live accordingly to that design. And if I will do, my world will change. My world will change. And so will yours. We have identity. So, say it with me. Identity. Come on. This 1130, man. We all have our coffee. Say it with me. Identity solves the problem. Okay, so we have, a school, we have a problem within our school districts and within our schools. They're humanists. They're run by humanistic terms and humanistic governments. Is there anything wrong with that? Well, not if you want to be part of that world. But as Christians, we're not part of that world. That is the humanistic world. That is the cosmos. That is the realm of the world. We are not of the world. Next slide, please. So it's an absence of moral need. National Review says this. Private education is an opportunity for the privileged only high, those of higher income can afford access to private education. Can I get a witness? Huh? So true. Only those of privilege can afford access to higher education. Average per student cost for all private schools is $10,710 a year per student. Some of you have realized that. Like, oh, I think I want to send my kid to private school. What's the tuition here? <gasps> it's more like 30000 <laughs> Well, that's average. <laughs> you start sweating on the inside. $9,960 is the average Christian school, uh, Christian school education. Yeah. Council on American Private Education says this. Private school students score 11% higher on SATs. 57% of private school students attend college to the bachelor level. So there's a comparison between those, of higher, of, of, of those who have access to better education or, or private education as opposed to those who have access only to public schools. So 57% of all private school students attend college to a BA level. 31% of public school students attend it to a BA level. Right? So there's a big difference there. 17% of private school students attain a master's degree or higher, while only 6%, 6.9% of public school students attain a master's or higher. Okay? Well, while it's not all about academics, the, the, the data is very clear. So there's a, that's all comes from an article in National Review, and then this is from uh, Council on American Private Education, which, by the way, is funded by the Department of Education. So, anyway, next slide. 2014 math and science testings. This is really exciting. This is really cool. I thought that was like, wow. Private school students, and so we, we have a math and science competition against the world, right? So we got Taipei and, you know, all these crazy countries, and we're having math and science competition. Private school students, people, American students of private school background finished sixth collectively. Public school students finished 19th. Woo, we're in the top 20 at least, you know? I mean, it just gives you an understanding. Christian private schools ranked highest in ethics and behavioral choices. So they have ethics and behavioral choice testing, which they ask the question, is it right to steal? Is stealing wrong? Christian students, no. You know what the most common public school response was? Somebody's going to tell me this. They told me first, sir. It depends. That is the most common response from public school students. Is stealing wrong? Well, it depends. Again, it's the relativism of it all. You know, is it, is it, it depends. Stealing's wrong. You know, it is. Ethics and behavioral choices. 
So we have high scores in that. So ethnicity and equality among Christian schools. In other words, the gap between black and white, red and yellow, green and blue, students of different ethnic backgrounds in the public schools is pretty broad. Kids of certain backgrounds do much better than kids of other backgrounds. In Christian schools, the gap between ethnicities is almost 50% closer. So in other words, children of less fortunate backgrounds or different ethnicities have a much higher chance of success within a private school than they do within a public school. This is the why. You know, as David said, what, is there not a cause? You know, who do you think you are going to swagger out there and slay a giant? Who does this church think they are? You guys are going to swagger out there and take on that giant. David looked at his brothers and said, isn't there a cause? <laughs> There's a cause. We are called to bring, if, we change, if you can change the children, you can change the future. It's just a fact. If you can change the children, you can change the future. If you can change the children, you can change the city. If you can change the city, you can change the world. You can change the way that people think and think people perceive. So our working title is Elevate Christian Academy. <laughs> what is our purpose? To train and equip future leaders in the knowledge and in the mindset of the kingdom. Very important. What makes us different? Well, there's lots of Christian schools, Kevin. Yes, true. But not all of them are gospel-oriented. Not all of them teach the gospel clearly. Lots of Christian schools, Kevin. Yep, there are. Not a lot in Dade County, by the way. Um, but very few, even fewer of them teach the Holy Spirit. We're not going to hide the Holy Spirit. We're not going to hide Jesus. We're not going to teach God as you understand him to be. We're a Christian school. We want to teach the kids the presence, the power, and the purposes of the Spirit of God. That is going to be a relevant fact through the school. We want to teach the children a mindset of the kingdom. The Bible says, renew your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? It means that our transformation is directly linked to the way we think. Your ability to be transformed and to be transcended into who God called you to be is directly related to the patterns by which you think. We are to renew our minds into different patterns of thought. We are not to be conformed to the world. That's what the Bible says. The, the world, the culture, it's, not an, it's just a place. Cosmos is the system of thinking. So we are in this system of thinking, but we are not of this system of thinking. That's the call of the Christian. The world is a system of thought. That's how the Bible relates it. We often think it's a physical place. It's not a physical place. The Bible uses the word cosmos, which is mindset, manner in which people think. So we are in a system of thinking, but we are not of that system of thinking. Well, then how are we supposed to think? We're supposed to think heaven to earth. That's the concept. This is revelation for the church at large. If the church can ever get its mind around the fact and get its understanding around the fact that we are supposed to think on earth as it is in heaven, we might actually see a revolution. You know? That's what we're all about. We want to see revolution, transformative change at the cultural level. So what makes us different? We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to teach the kids the gospel. We're going to weave it through. We're going to teach a mindset and a mentality of the kingdom. We're not going to speak to these kids and we're not going to coach these kids in terms of what is impossible, but what is possible. That's how we're going to do it. You say, how are you going to do it? We haven't got it all figured out yet, but we know what the goal is, right? If you know what the goal is, you can figure out how to get there. That's just an issue of engineering. You know, how are we going to go over that mountain? How are we going to get to that place? How are we going to get there? The goal is to that. The goal is to produce a system and a type of child that thinks in different terms. 
We want to teach them entrepreneurial skills. We have a whole model for upper level and different things like that. I have this whole vision of how this can roll out, and it didn't come from me. I'd love to take the credit for the vision, but it doesn't come from me. You know, on earth as it is in heaven, what do you see, Lord? Academics are a given. That's a given. But the emphasis of the school is not, we're not academically charged. We're going to be, well, they're going to be academics. Be, that, that, that's like, I mean, if we even need to go there, I mean, it's like, the, the goal of the school is to produce kingdom-minded kids that are revolutionary changers of the world in which they find themselves. Revivalists on every level. That's the goal of the school. And our goal in even recruiting kids into the school is to have the parents completely understand that. This is who we are. This is why we are, and this is what we are. You know, we're not hiding it. You know, we're gonna be out of the closet, sitting on a hill. That's just how it's gonna work, man. Come on. <laughs> we're gonna do it through academics. We're gonna do it through redemptive art. I'd really like the school to be centered in arts, creative mindsets within the artistic community and creating art. We wanna do a lot of things in that direction. We want to do kingdom and cultural renewal through the Holy Spirit. We want to teach kids not just math and reading, but we want to teach them microfinance. We want to teach, I see these kids being taught things, entrepreneurial mindsets. I see kids, like, I, I felt like the Lord held up five fingers to me. And he said, within five years, within five years, I see these kids opening businesses, doing renewal within their cities. I see, I see politicians that, that have come to our school that run for council. I, I, I see it. I see it. I was in building construction for a long time. That's actually my background. And one of my first instructors told me, if you can't see it, you can't build it. You can't see it, you can't build it. So seeing is very important. You have to be able to see what can be in order to build what must be. This must be. You want to talk about calling and destiny. Your calling and destiny is always related to a must. What must happen? This must happen. Jesus is ordering it. He wants it. Right? He wants to bring renewal. And what I told first service is the same thing I'll tell you. It is a tremendous honor for the Lord to visit a church and say, this is what I want. It is a tremendous honor for God to say, I want you to do something that's well beyond your ability. And I want you to do this. And so it's an honor. It's not a burden. We should never look at this as a community. We shouldn't look at it as a church ever as a burden. This is a tremendous opportunity. And I'm grateful for it. The goal is to create a model school, so we want to create a model, and we want to create multiple schools. We want, to tr we want to try to dot the county with this type of school. We want three to five schools in 10 years. I know that's insanely ambitious. <laughs> Who do you think you are? The Lord God of heaven will be with us, therefore we will arise and build. So we want to create a model school, the first school, low-hanging fruit, making it happen, get it done, create a model, and then begin to replicate the model within the city and literally try to dot the county with these types of schools, transformative schools. When I'm not, I'm not interested in one, I'm interested in many. And I think it can happen. I don't think I know, you know? I think, you, did you give that word? Somebody gave me a word. I was talking to somebody about the school and they're like, I just see people flying in from around the region, like trying to, it was you, yeah. Trying to just figuring out what you guys are doing. He's like, I see this, like these types of schools going into Caribbeans, going into nations. He's like, I see this type of thing happening. And so, again, we believe it's what the Lord wants. And so we're calling you guys to be a part of this. It's, a, it's, a, it's an hour of visitation. Jesus told his people, he said, you can, discern the, you can discern the weather by looking at the sky, but you can't discern when I'm visiting you. You can't discern when I'm putting something right in front of you. You can't discern when I'm putting a kingdom opportunity in front of you. So what's the point? 
We need to know how to discern the kingdom opportunities when Jesus is presenting them. Next slide. So what's our revenue model? So I'm going to read. Some of this is kind of academic to some of you, but just, this is just all kind of the part of the thing. In other words, how's the school going to be funded? How's the school going to operate? What's going to, where's the revenue going to come from? Well, the, the intention of the school is to work off of a Title I model. What is Title I? I'm glad you asked. This comes from the Department of Education. Essentially, Title I is, provides financial assistance to local educational agencies and schools with high numbers and percentages of children of low-income families to help ensure that all children meet the challenging academic state requirements. So in other words, the federal government gives block grants to the states. Here Nevada, here Colorado, here Florida, they give block money with the stipulation that it be used to do that. The states then appropriate the money as, as they see fit. In Florida, thank you Jesus, that's right, we have something called school choice, which allows students who meet that standard to transfer into any school, including private schools, and, and the school receives the grant that is given to the child. So basically, your public school isn't just operating off of tax revenue, it's operating off of per student population. That's why your schools are overcrowded. That's why schools are constantly fighting each other. I don't know if you, you know, they want attendance, they want membership, because, or kids to come, because the school's revenue is directly tied to the number of students that go to that school. And so the more students, the more money they get. You, you understand what I'm talking about here? That's, that's our public school. So Florida allows that same amount, not the same amount, we actually, the private and the charter schools get less, about 30% less. So your public school is gonna get about 30% less than, than, than a private school will. So the state's all about that because they're saving 30% per student, right? So we got to give 30% more to the public school. You know, hey, let's, you know, let's give it to privates and charters too. That's why. And so because there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, saving, a cost saving ban, uh, a factor that relates back to the state of Florida. They're saving 30%. Well, happy day. You know, that's good news. I'm like, yeah, bring it. <laughs> we'll take it. <laughs> we'll build that. So the state of Florida gives school choice, so provides these grants to all public and private. So there'll be a tuitional base, but at the same time, our goal is to reach into underserved communities and reach underserved kids. That's our goal. McKay scholarship grants and Title I scholarship grants. We're reaching into kids who in no other way would have access to this level of education ever. In their wildest dreams, they wouldn't be able to have that. Does that make sense to you? Come on, come on. <laughs> You're going to change cities. I'm telling you. I know it for his glory. So what's the timeline? Fall 2017. That's our goal. That's our launch. What's our target enrollment? Well, my initial target was 50, but I've since been convinced to go a little higher, Kevin. So uh, I'm all about that. So our target enrollment year one is one to 200 students. What does that mean? It means that we have work to do. So our goal is to rent a building by April. And there's some factors behind that as to why. Uh, run a building for the school by April. Have the building renovated and approved by July 1st. Okay, there's deadlines with the state. July 1 is the deadline. So we have to get a building, get it ready, and get it prepared by the 1st of July. Get it approved. It's not that difficult, but it, it is a process. Registration and transfer of enrollment closes on July the 2nd. In other words, what you begin with, what you close, with July the 2nd, how many students you have registered or transferred, because there are students that already have the scholarship, all they have to do is transfer it to your school. And it's a simple process. Then there are students who are 
are, are capable of having this grant that don't even know that they are capable of having this grant, that that, that, that money can be used for such a thing. Uh, so basically the state funds in September, so, so let's just say, so July the 2nd they close enrollment, and you got 100 students. Well, they're going to pay you on a per capita basis quarterly based upon how many students you have. So if you've got 100 students in July the 2nd, they're going to they're, they're release the funds to the school based upon that 100 students that you had on July the 2nd. Does that make sense to you guys? So enrollment closes on July the 2nd. So what we start on July the 2nd was what we, we move forward with. Anyway, you can add enrollment because the, the, the payout is quarterly. So they pay you quarterly or they pay the school quarterly. Next slide. So what do we got to do? We got to raise startup money. What does that mean? This is where we all participate in the greatness of God. Say it with me, many hands make work light. It's true. So we got to raise startup money. Why do we need to raise startup money? Because the school actually has to exist in order for the state to fund it. So we actually have to have a physical school, so we have to front load it. We have to actually put the money out, establish the school in order to take the enrollment, in order to receive the grant money. So we have to physically be there. It has to physically exist. So, so state per student is issuing. So what do we need? We need $45,000 in rent deposits. This is our working numbers. We need 55, approximately 50,000 in setup and renovation costs based upon our model. When we need approximately, we can have more. If we can get more, God knows we'll take more. $55,000 in working capital of which, so we need about 150 grand. That's our target. Of which $40,000 is already committed. And that's impressive. I don't know, I don't, I don't know I'm waiting for somebody to be impressed with that. I haven't even talked about this, but to a handful of people, and we have $40,000 already committed to this. That's almost one, that, what is that? How much, I'm, I'm not, I don't do math on the weekends, but anyway. <laughs> that's almost a quarter of what we need. That's right. So what do we gotta do? We gotta raise $110,000 in 11 months. Yeah! yeah. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> and we go, How's that going to happen? I'm so glad you asked. Go fund, me. go fund me, but watch this. Next slide. The power of the church is always in its network. The power of the church is always in its community. We need 100 people to give $100 a month for 11 months. That'd be $1,100 times 100. That's $110,000. So I need 100 people to give 25 bucks a week to something that will change the world for, for a year. How difficult is that? That's not difficult. I need 50 people. We can do it any one, any one of these ways. 50 people who want to give 200 bucks a month for 11 months. We get $110,000. It's not that difficult. Okay? That's $50 a week. We need 25 people to give, 20, give $400 for, four, for 11 months. We can make that. We get 11 people to give $1,000 a month for 11 months. We, we can make that. I need four people to give 25 too. We need some daddy and mama warbucks to step up and give 55 or 110. We're good. <laughs> Our goal is to go over the budget. So here's the deal. So this is, in a, this is what would be called in Christian terms an offering. So you have your tithes which supports the church. Then you have an offering which supports the greater work of God into the world and what he wants to do. So the tithing is supporting the local church. The offering, which is what this is, this is an offering above and beyond what you normally give. We have two types of giving. We have in-kind donation, which means here's the money. Bless you. Wonderful. Love to see it. Let me know when it happens. We're also setting up a system, too, of a short-term loan. So if some of you are sitting on some capital of 10 grand or more, and you want to be able to loan it to the school for 18 months, we'll be, from the time we start, we will repay the loan within 18 months of the operation starting. Um, we're, we're, we're going to do that. And you say, well, how are you going to repay the loan? Well, we're going to repay the loan off the operation costs. You understand that? Because we have to front load it, so the money comes on the back side. 
So you, the idea is, is like people that say, hey, I want to, you know, I, I'll whatever, here's $10,000. I want to do the 18-month loan to the school. Okay, fine. So the $10,000 is here. We launched the school. The operating money comes in from the school, and the money is repaid out of the operating cost of the school. Does that make sense? So we have two different types. And I, th this comes from the Lord. Because you believe me, I'm like, where are we going to get the money? Where are we going to get the money, Jesus? You know, okay, great call. You know, and I'm, you know, I'm like, woo, woo, woo. Then in privately, I'm like, Lord. Are you aware of what this means? <laughs> and I feel like he's like, ask for donations. And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty common. And then I felt like the Lord told me, repay them on loan. Give it out on loan. And I was like, what? And so that whole idea, I felt like the Lord showed me. It's like, just, you know, use, use it, set it up, take the operating costs and repay it. And I'm like, and I, so I go, Tom, can we do that? And he's like, yeah, we can do that. Like, is that legal? He's like, yeah, that's perfectly legal. <laughs> the money is to be designated to the school. So from ethical standpoints, it's held in a separate account. It's called designated giving. Again, it's an offering in a designated form. So offerings in designated forms are to be separated from the general fund. In other words, the money that's taken in for the school is not used to operate the church. It's used to build the school. That's the idea. You understand that? So there's always questions. Well, where's the money going to go? Uh, and so, it's going to, so our goal is to provide updates through the process. Um, I just gave you one. We have $40,000 committed. And I've been on the phone talking to people that I know got some cash. And I'm like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> Let me present you with a kingdom opportunity. So it's, it's good. You know, I don't, what I told them is the same thing I'm going to tell you. you know, there's no pressure. You, there's no pressure at all. I believe the Holy Spirit, where he guides, he provides, you know? And what he said to Esther through Mordecai, he said, for such a time of this, you've been brought to this kingdom. For such a time of this, you, you've been brought to this point. If you will not do what the Lord has present, presented before you, don't worry. God will get it done another way. But you will miss an amazing opportunity. God, Jesus is going to do this. <laughs> So much has happened already, and I haven't even, I barely have lifted a finger. I'm praying, and okay, I'll give you another story. So I'm praying, I'm like, oh God, oh God. No, it wasn't like that. It's like, that's how you pray, Kevin? No, I'm not. I just talked to the Lord. I'm like, Lord, okay, so you want us to do this? Okay, I'm down, but you need to show me. I need to understand this. And he starts showing me things and starts giving me understanding. And I'm like, well, where are we going to get the students, Lord? And I'm working off a 50 number. This is a few months back. I'm working off of just 50 students. Right? So we need 50 students. So we have, a, we, have a, we have a tier. We have survival, we have success, and we have significance. 50 to 100, 50 to 75 is going to make the church, will make the school survive. 75 to 150 is going to make the church, or not the church, the school succeed. 150 to 200 and plus will make the church, or make the school significant. You understand? That's actually how God works in our lives. He goes survival, success, significance. That's his goal. His goal is to take you from survival and through a pathway of obedience, he will make you successful. And a continued pathway of obedience, he will make you significant. That's the Lord's heart for his people, is survival, success, significance. So what's our survival plateau? 50 to 75 people, the school survives. 75 to 150, the school succeeds. 150 to 200, the school will be significant and will be a powerful entity in the place that where it finds itself. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah. Uh, updates will be provided. Where was I? I don't even know. Next slide. What do I got left? Anything left? Ah, so what do we do? We do. So there's forms on the thing. So I was told I should hand them out. 
So if anybody wants one, yeah. yeah. Anybody want to hand? Somebody want to help me? Just grab a hand. If you want one, raise your hand. If you want to think, you, you don't have to fill it out today. You just take it, look at it, pray about it, make a paper airplane out of it. If you don't want to participate, it's it's really not the issue. Oh, here's what I was going to say. So I'm asking the Lord, where are we going to get students? I remember now. I go, where are we going to get students? You know, I'm like, where are we going to get students? And I'm thinking, and he's showing me a couple little ways. Then I end up going to a, 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 a meeting, a woman, let's just say, a breakfast, not, not, yeah, anyway, it's not sound weird. That sounded really weird. I ended up meeting a woman. No, it was a waitress. And I'm talking with her and talking to her about a school and her Christianity, a Christian school and all this other stuff. And she's like, what kind of school are you guys going to do? And I told her and she's like, um, she's like, Title I? And she, and, she go, and she goes, and I go, yeah. And she goes, all my kids are Title I. I go, really? She goes, I would love to put my kids in a, in a, in a Christian school. And I go, well, how many kids you got? And I'm thinking she got like two or three. She's got five kids, right? And she says she can't afford the t- tuition and all this other stuff. I said, no problem. So anyway, I leave the restaurant, and I'm thinking, oh, that was kind of cool. What, an, what a great encounter. And the Lord's kind of pushing on me, and he's saying, do you recognize what just happened? And I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, she's got a lot of kids. That's awesome. They, they, she wants to come to school. You know, she gives me the number and everything. I put it in my wallet. She's like, look, when you guys do the school, you call me, you let me know. Nah, nah, nah. So I put it in my wallet. And then the Lord goes, I just showed you 10% of what you're asking me for with one mother. Not 5%, not 4%. He should, because I'm, I'm asking for 50, 50 kids. That was all I was asking for. Now I'm asking for 200, okay? But I was only asking for 50 kids. And he brings one mother to me who has five kids. He goes, I just offered you 10% of what you asked me for with one parent. One parent. A friend of mine just told, told so you guys, oh, this is 11, 1130, I can be a little more casual. I'm not like, anyway, go, go, go. You know, but, uh, so I'll just tell you a real quick story. A friend of mine turned me on to this. So uh, beginning of the year, how did all this come about? We fast and pray in January. So we were fasting and praying in January, and I was just really calling on the Lord and just really trying to really want his heart, really want his mind, really want to understand what he wants. And I kept hearing the Lord tell me, I want you to start a school, and I want the school to lead the church, and da 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 tell me this whole thing. I'm kind of like, okay. And I always believed at some point we would start a school, but I felt like it was when the church was further along down the road. And then I heard the Lord telling me this, and so we kind of meet as a board. I was talking with a couple of people, and the only type of school I knew that we could do, that we could get revenue in order to operate it with, was a charter school. And so we started looking into doing a charter school. And I was educated in the fact that it takes about three years to actually launch a charter school. And charter schools are not necessarily uh, lenient towards Christian-type schools. And so I was like, that's okay. We can kind of go covert with that and, you know, and do it this way, but then you, it takes about, um, you have to file your charter, which takes three to four months to prepare. It takes 18 months to get the approval, and then you're, and even when you're approved, you launch the next school year, which essentially means it takes three years to start a charter school, right? So we're like, okay, well, we're just gonna, the Lord's calling for it, we're just gonna start working on it. I was just in the office, and I saw the whole stack of charter stuff in, the, in there. I was like, oh, the charter school, oh, look at that. But, so I go to this conference, and I, I'm talking with a friend of mine, and, and Sherry's talking to his wife, and she goes, Tony started a charter school in six months. I'm like, what? No way. I'm like, Tony, you started a charter school in six months? He goes, I didn't start a charter school in six months. He said, I, tar- I started a Title I in six months. And then he's like, come by the office. He said, I'll show you everything that we did. And uh, just to give you an example, they're, they're in Alapata, and uh, my friend uh, Tony and Diana, they, they started the school last year with 20 students, oh, two years ago, with 20 students. And Tony was like, I just want to see if we can do this. I don't even know. He does 20 students. Last year, he went to 75. 
okay? So he had 75 students in the school last year. He said, I had to go beat on doors, Kevin, to get kids to come. And he said, then the second year, he said, I had them lined up around the block, you know? But they were meeting, they were doing school in the church building itself because that was how they were, they were doing it. And um, uh, so their capacity was only like 75 or 80, so they couldn't take a lot of students. And so they only had 75 or 80, but he said, we had them lined up around the block year two. And then he said, year three, before school was even out, they had 150 kids pre-registered. They're taking another building. So, you know, the need is clearly there. And from a church perspective, like from what has happened from their, their perspective from a church and even from the mission that the church is able to complete or carry forward, it's, it's radically changed what they're capable of doing. And so this isn't something that, for me, I have something called context, which means I have to see it in order to do it. That's just how God's wired me. And so, and I think he knew that. So I go and see Tony and I see what they're doing and I'm like, wow, we can do this. We can totally do this, you know? And so it's, it's, not, it's not something that's beyond the realm of possibility. It is completely within the realm of possibility. And there's other opportunities that are attached to that. So what's the deal? Pray, ask the Lord, present your heart before him. You know, the giving levels are incredibly low. And if you want to give even below the giving level that we've asked you to give towards, you can do that too. So you can pray about it, ask the Lord, Commit. Nothing happens without commitment. You have to make a commitment. You have to realize I'm either giving one time or I'm going to give over the course of 11 months. That's what you have to do. You have to give. And giving oftentimes relates to sacrifice. There's no pain. There's no offering. So David said, I will make no offering to the Lord that costs me nothing. There's pain in the offering. This is how it is. 11, so how can you give? These are some different ways that you can give. You can give us 11 post-dated checks. Tell us when to deposit them. You can do, fill out an auto debit form, which that's part of the paperwork that somebody's supposed to be. Who's got that? Did anybody? I need help. Who, oh, you got it? Oh, okay. See, I don't even know where I'm at. I don't even know. So you, you can fill out the auto debit form, which basically you, you, you tell us an amount. You tell us when you want us to, to debit the account, first or 15th, you know, whatever. You can give online. You can give automated checks mailed to us through your bank to the address. Um, with that, just simply designate on there that it's for the school. And so when the money is designated for the school, it will go to the school. That's the, that's the idea. All right, so that's the plan. That's the future. We want to change the world. Don't you? Huh? Yeah. I just see this like one of the things that is really important, and if you've been a Christian for a long time, you start thinking of in terms of legacy. Like, in other words, what can I leave behind? <laughs> you know, yeah, right? Then you know, you've, you know you've crossed the line when you start thinking about, what am I leaving behind? But one of the things is, is that we can create a legacy and we can create a gospel community through our churches that changes the world. And uh, what's really fascinating is uh, Lord brought, uh, we have several teachers here with a lot of experience, but of all the people, uh, Brian Creel, uh, actually Lori, who was running the children's right now, she, uh, she works at a Title I school of all the places for her to work. And she actually moved down here to work. At a, it's a public school. She's not at a private school. She's at a public school. And I, I said, Lori, I said, what do you think about doing a Title I school? She's like, that would be great. And I said, okay, where are you at? And she told me, I said, how many students do you have? And she said, 800. I said, so you think if we did a Christian school, we could maybe recruit 50? She said, I think you can get 100. She said, the parents are so dissatisfied with that school that it's not even, it's not even funny. So it's, it's not, again, I just want you guys to see this from the different perspectives of what it is, and it's a tremendous opportunity. So take the, take the, the, the form, 
If you're like, I'm in, then just fill it out, and you want me to hand them to you? I, we, we didn't really have a plan for this. My plan was, you know, but yeah, you can give them to Tom. You can leave them on the counter. No, I don't, don't leave them on the counter if you put any information on there. Give them to Tom. That's Tom right there. Wave everybody. He's, uh, so there you go. So um, yeah, if you want to take it home, pray about it, whatever you want to do, we just want to encourage you to do that as well. All right? And if you're interested in doing lump sum or if you're interested in doing the, the loan, the short-term loan, say, look, well, I got X. I'm willing to give X for this much time for the 18 months. I'm willing to do that. Then you're, will, you're free to talk with us, myself, and, uh, and I'll probably bring Tom there too just to discuss how, we're, how, how that can happen. All right? Okay. Are you excited? Yeah. Yes. Come on. Yeah. I don't know you, man, but you're awesome. Let me high-five this guy right here. Boom. All right, so let's pray, man. Let's pray. We're going to dismiss. I'll be over there for the next few minutes if you guys have any questions. So I'll just hang out over there. we got foundations starting, and Bible school is going to start as well. But if anybody wants to talk about anything, I'll be over there for like maybe 10 or 15 minutes. The rest of you can be dismissed. Let me just bless you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. We thank you for this opportunity. We just present it all to you, Lord. We welcome it, all that you want to rain down. Father, we just thank you for it. We thank you for it. We thank you for the opportunity to do something great for you. We thank you for not only what can be, we thank you for what could be, we thank you for what should be, and Lord, we thank you for what must be. And Father, we just thank you for it. And we take it as an honor, Lord, that you call for this. We take it as an honor, Lord, that you release a vision, a vision of greatness, a vision of transformation, a vision of cultural renewal, a vision of, of county and city transformation. We're grateful for it, Lord. We're grateful for it. And see, so, Father, we welcome that we welcome all of the assigned angels. We welcome the assignment of the spirit that is given to this. We welcome the whole process. We thank you for it. I just release your glory into the lives of these people. We thank you for that. And Lord, I just bless them one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace and forever abide within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Thanks for listening.